last couple weeks, you know, I've been sharing just a little bit about my mom and uh, just going through open heart surgery. And so many of you have been with me on that journey and praying for her. So many of you stopped me this morning and asked for an update on how she's doing. Uh, my mom's doing great. She's out of the hospital. She's home as of Friday night. And what kind of grabs my heart... And just a few minutes ago, she said she's joining us online right now with us in worship. So that's pretty awesome. So I just want to, on behalf of my mom, I just want to say thanks uh, for all of your prayers. Thanks for kind of being and walking with me and walking with her and uh, lifting her up because God is healing her. So thank you. How about we say thanks to God? Okay, turn in your Bibles to Revelation chapter 7, and while you're turning to Revelation 7, take a look at this video. Okay, I'm sure you have no idea what that was about, but hold that thought. You'll, you'll see kind of towards the message as the message unfolds here. I want you to think about today why you're here. Just think about that question. Why are, why are you here? Now, let me ask you a question. How many of you enjoy shopping? Raise your hands. All right, good. See, now, I'm what you might call a power shopper. And that means I write my list down, and then I go in the store, and I'm, I'm on a mission to get whatever it is I need and get out of there. And I found that if you go to Home Depot just a little later in the morning, it's kind of fun because you could walk in there. I had this experience last week, walked in there and there's three people standing there and I'm like, wow, this is quite the greeters, you know, today. And they were like, oh, no, 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 we're here to help you. I said, really? They said, yeah, t give us your list and we'll get everything you need and get you out of here. Yes, I mean, that was awesome. And that's what we did. We just went around. We power shot. We got out of there. They helped me carry everything, got me checked out, got it in my car, and I was off. I was gone. And I thought, that's really cool. Well, you know, I love construction and projects and plumbing and electric and all that kind of stuff. So I always have some project going on. 
Well, a couple years ago, I was in the middle of a really big project finishing my basement, and so every day it was like my van knew to go right to Lowe's on the way home. So every day I'd go to Lowe's and then come home, go to Lowe's and come home. That was just kind of a routine that I was on. Well, one day I was power shopping, had my list, and I drive and must have been thinking about somewhere else. I pulled into Lowe's, walked into Lowe's, and I stopped, and they're like, can I help you? And I said, no. I don't know why I'm here. It's not on my list. <laughs> it was just habit. I just went there by habit. Where I was supposed to go was across the street. Have you ever done something like that? You wonder why you're here? Yeah, I wonder how many of you on Sunday morning, you know, you start your car up and it's already programmed that it knows go 1550 South Poseyville Road. And you come here and you sit down and you, have you ever stopped to ask why you're here? I mean, think about it. Why are you here this morning? Did somebody ask you to come this morning? Are you here to worship this morning? Are you here because that, that's what you do on Sunday mornings? You know, deep within every one of us is an emptiness by design. I want you to see your heart this morning a little bit like a donut, that it may be wonderful and cream-filled and all that kind of stuff, but in the middle, there's something empty, something missing. And you know there's something missing. And people for centuries have been trying to fill that empty hole, that emptiness that, that's within them, with something. They've been maybe going to, turning to alcohol and saying, maybe that'll do it. Maybe a person can fill that, that void. It may be uh, stuff. It may be the accumulation of money. It may be stocks. It may be something else. But everyone tries to fill that hole in our heart, and yet you know you can't fill it. And so when we come into the Lord's house, and it is the Lord's house, there's one thing that we know. We know that God is in this house right now. God said, where two or three are gathered in my name, there I am I in the midst of them. So we know that God's in the house as we speak right now. And are you here this morning? Because that's what you're seeking. You're seeking God. Because God is the only one in our lives that can actually fill that void. And what I hope you see worship as is it might be called the appetizers of heaven. The hors d'oeuvres of heaven. See, if you've got Revelation 7 open, let's look at it together. Revelation chapter 7. Find verse 9. After this I looked... And there before me was a great multitude that no one could count from every nation, tribe, people, and language standing before the throne and in front of the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands and they cried out in a loud voice. Before we do it together, how many were there? You couldn't count them. You got the picture? Millions and millions and millions and millions. There's people that nobody can even count. You could never count that high. I mean, they say that if you started when you were born to count to a billion, you couldn't make it by the time you were 100. So think about all the people that are in heaven that no one can count standing before the throne, and they're crying out in a loud voice. Say it with me. Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. Now look at this. All the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders, and the four living creatures, they fell down on their faces before the throne, and they worshiped God, saying, now this time, say it like you're in heaven, would you? 
Amen. Praise and glory and wisdom and thanks and honor and power and strength be to our God forever and ever. Amen. Amen? Absolutely. But you see, that's what worship is. It's when God's people gather together and we have this little foretaste, this little appetizer of what heaven is like. And we know that God is in our midst, even though we can't see him. And so what we try to do as a staff and as worship teams is what can we do in worship to help you enter into the presence of God and worship God with all your heart? Because that's what we're here to do. Now start turning over to 2 Samuel chapter 6. 2 Samuel chapter 6. But sometimes what happens is that we lose sight of what the real reason for gathering together is. And we keep doing the tradition of meeting together, but sometimes we lose the meaning or the focus of why we meet together. Now we're going to look at a story in the Old Testament about David. David was the only person in the Bible that God said was a man after God's own heart. And we're going to see it again today, how David was seeking after God. Now, when David became king and began and set up in Jerusalem, there was something that was missing. He set up a place of worship, like a tent of meeting, which is very biblical from the Old Testament. When Moses came out with the people, they had a tent of meeting. It was where they gathered on a weekly basis, and Moses would go and meet with God regularly, and there was something inside of there called the Ark of the Covenant. Now, the Ark of the Covenant, this is it, you can see a picture of it. It was an incredible piece of art, but it was way more than that. If you notice on that Ark, first of all, it's made from acacia wood. It's about four feet long, it's about two feet deep, and it's about 18 to 24 inches tall. It's lined with pure gold. Just think about a brick of gold, how heavy that is. Now think about lining this whole thing on the inside and the outside with with gold. And then they put on the top, there's a cover to this Ark of the Covenant. And there's something called two cherubim, which is where we get our word for angels. And they're overshadowing there. But here's the awesomeness of what God would do. God said that he would be enthroned right there between those cherubim. God would speak from that Ark of the Covenant when Moses would hear God's voice. The scripture says that it was right from between those cherubim that the voice of God would come. It represented God himself. And God was with his people, and they would travel around with that Ark of the Covenant. But then something happened. They separated the Ark of the Covenant from the tent of meeting, from the place for worship. And the Ark of the Covenant became... Uh, almost like this magical box that guaranteed you'd win if you were in battle. And so Saul, what Saul did before David reigned, Saul was in a battle against the Philistines. And you remember the Philistines. It's Goliath was a Philistine. And they were always at war, it seems, with the Philistines. So Saul, after getting his butt whipped, okay, and lost about 4,000 soldiers, he said, you know what? Let's go get the Ark of the Covenant and we'll bring it into the camp with us and then we're sure to win. So that's what they did. Except that they forgot it was all about God. They never went to God and said, God, is there something we should do? Is there something you want us to do? Are we not doing what we should be doing? Is there sin in the camp? 
What's going? He didn't do any of that. He just grabbed the ark, brought it in, and they went to battle again. This time, they lost 30,000 soldiers. And not only that, but the Philistines captured the Ark of the Covenant. So the Philistines now have it. Israel's grieving because they lost the Ark. And now this Ark is in enemy camp, if you will. And all this weird stuff starts happening. People start dying in that town. I mean, a lot of people are dying. People are getting tumors on their bodies. And they're like, get this thing out of here. So they send it to another town. The other town receives it, thinking it's kind of this cool God artifact. Except people start dying and getting sick and getting tumors. So they send it to another town, except the other town's smart and says, no, don't, don't bring it, please. We don't want that thing. But they had to take it, and everybody was getting sick and dying. So finally they said, what are we going to do? And so they went to their diviners and said, what should we do? And they said, well, here's what we're going to do. We're going to build an, a cart for the ark, put two oxen on it, and we're going to set them loose. If they go back all by themselves to where the Israelites are, then this was of God. But if they go somewhere else, then it was just chance. So they put the ark on the cart, set the oxen loose, and it went straight right for where the Israelites were. So now the ark was back in Israelite territory. David, now scan ahead, David, after taking residence up in Jerusalem, knows that what's missing is he needs the presence of God brought into Jerusalem. Because he wants God to be honored in the whole world, and he wants everyone to know that he is a follower of God, and that God will dwell within their midst. And so he builds this tent of meeting. He had it in his heart to build a whole temple. But as you know, he wasn't allowed to. But his son Solomon was allowed to. And so David goes down to get the Ark of the Covenant. So the story that we're looking at today is starting from this point of David going to get this Ark and bring it back. So 2 Samuel chapter 6, beginning with verse 1. David again brought together out of Israel chosen men 30,000 in all. He and all his men set out from Bala and Judah to bring up from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name of the Lord Almighty, who is enthroned between the cherubim that are on the ark. Boy, you got to pause here. You, you can't just gloss over this. Did you catch these cool things in there? It's the ark of God, which is called by the name. By the name. What is that name? It's that name that God gave for himself, that name Yahweh. I am. And it was respected and it was honored as this has everything to do with God. And it says, the name of the Lord Almighty who was enthroned between the cherubim. So here's the cherubim on top of that thing. God is enthroned in the midst of that. And David wants to bring God back and, if you will, put him in Jerusalem and honor God as God before the whole world. Verse 3. They set the ark of God on a new cart and brought it from the house of Abinadab, which was on the hill. Did you catch what they did? They put the ark where? On a new cart. Well, they got that idea from the Philistines. This is where God's grace was upon David, 
But David grossly steps out of line here. So you can read more about this, but in 1 Chronicles chapters 13 and 15 and 16, what David did when he was going to go get the ark, he was a commander. Remember, David was like commander-in-chief. He was a military guy. And so he went to his officers and said, hey, let's go get the, the Ark of the Covenant. Um, how do you want to do it? This thing's pretty heavy, guys. What do you want to do? And so they said, well, we remember how the Philistines did it, so let's put it on a new cart, and we'll bring it up just like they did. David said, okay, and they did. Except there's a problem. When I started to hunt about the Ark of the Covenant, there's about 225 verses about the Ark of the Covenant. 71 of them always attach the Ark of the Covenant with carrying. Because God told Moses, this was to be carried. And it was to be carried only by the Levites. That was, remember the 12 tribes of Levi, or of, of um, drawing a blank. 12 tribes of Israel. And see how I'm looking to John, like, help me out, John. Help me out. <laughs> And he's like, thanks, buddy. Appreciate that. <laughs> oh, your wife said Israel. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> okay, now I forgot what I was saying. Oh, yeah, oh, yeah, I remember. So the Levites, okay, so this is, uh, the Levites were the only ones that were allowed to carry the ark. But David never sought God in this particular item. So he gets his officers, they go down, they make a cart, they go down to get the ark. Verse 4. A little bit before verse 4. Uzzah and Ahio, sons of Abinadab, were guiding the new cart with the ark of God on it. And Ahio was walking in front of it. David and the whole house of Israel were celebrating with all their might before the Lord with songs and harps, lyres, tambourines, cisterns, cistrums, and cymbals. Do you understand why? Because it was God being honored and brought back into the center of their whole life. And so as God was coming back into the center of their life, they were celebrating with everything in them. We would call that worship. That's what they were doing. Now, verse 6. When they came to the threshing floor of Nacon, Yuza reached out and took hold of the ark of God because the oxen stumbled... The Lord's anger burned against Yuza because of his irreverent act. Therefore, God struck him down, and he died there beside the Ark of God. Now, get the picture. They're carrying, the Ark of God is on the cart, and they're excited about it, and they're worshiping with all their might before God, honoring God, and all of a sudden, you know, somebody touches it, and God strikes them dead. I mean, worship ended just like that. Now what do you do? But you see, here's what I want you to grab from this. Sometimes we have diminished God to being our buddy, our friend, our pal. Hey, he's just like a friend. We have a great hymn. We, I mean, I wonder how many of you like the song, What a Friend We Have in Jesus. And it's true, we do have a friend in Jesus, but we have to be careful. Sometimes we can diminish God in his rightful place as the Lord Almighty, the King of kings and the Lord of lords, and we bring him down and think it doesn't matter how we live our life. It doesn't matter. And then sometimes something like this happens that God says, 
You're not honoring me. Well, look at verse 8. Then David was angry because the Lord's wrath had broken out against Yuza, and to this day that place is called Perez Yuza, means the place where Yuza died. David was afraid of the Lord that day and said, How can the ark of the Lord ever come to me? He was not willing to take the ark of the Lord to be with him in the city of David. Instead, he took it aside to the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite. The ark of the Lord remained in the house of Obed-Edom, the Gittite, for three months, and the Lord blessed him and his entire household. Now, I wonder if this was just of God, but Obed-Edom was a Levite. He was from, he was a lineage all the way back to Levite. And so what did God do? God blessed him. Verse 12. Now the king, now King David was told, the Lord has blessed the household of Obed-Edom and everything he has because of the ark of God. Now we're not going to look up because of time, but if you look up in Chronicles, you'll see that this time what David did is he gathered together the Levites, gathered together the priests, And he inquired of God and said, what do you want me to do? And God said to him, here's what I want you to do. I want you to go down and get that ark and bring it up and carry it this time. So that's what they did. They went down. So we'll start where we left off. So David went down and brought up the ark of God from the house of Obed-Edom to the city of David with rejoicing. When those who were, what's it say? Carrying the ark of the Lord had taken six steps, he sacrificed a bull and a fattened calf. Okay, now, can you picture this? I mean, imagine you're a Levite. You know, you're holding this, you're carrying this. Now, I'm going to guesstimate this thing was about 1,500 pounds. Imagine carrying 1,500 pounds on your shoulder, and you take six steps, and then you stop while they sacrifice these animals in praise and honor to God. I mean, I wonder how many times they had to rotate Levites. That would be a long trip. You're going miles, and you take six steps. But what they did, did you catch it? Six steps, we honored God. And sacrificing was saying to God, thank you for your grace, because we're not worthy to have you in our midst, God. And they would sacrifice and say, thank you for forgiveness. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for your love. As God was re-entering into the lives of the Israelites. And that was David's heart, to have God at the center. Do you know, we've been in the series of touching God's heart. Do you know how you touch God's heart? It's when you seek to put God first. When God becomes first in your life, then God gets honored and God blesses us because we're honoring God. And so I want to ask you today, are you honoring God in everything you do? Does God have his rightful place in your life? And how would you know that? Here's a little barometer that I want to ask you about. Is there any change that's going on in your life? Because I can't imagine if we would get a glimpse of heaven right now, if God would open up our eyes and we could all see heaven and see this multitude without count, 
up in heaven worshiping God with everything in them, singing praises and adoring and worshiping God. I can't imagine that you would see that sign and see that image and then go, cool. And keep going back to the way you lived your life. It would change you. When you open up the word of God and God talks about the place he wants in your life, it's going to change you. And there are times that for all of us, we're going to drift. We're going to drift away from God. And so the change is we're going back and we keep, it's just this continuous cycle that sometimes we drift and we come back. And some of you may be very far from God. Maybe some of you may be just starting your journey back to God. Way to go. Keep going. There's probably changes going on in your life. And then for those who have walked with God for longer, we'll drift and God calls us back. And every one of us should say, if God is having an impact in my life, if God is taking his rightful place in my heart and in your heart as God, there will be some marked difference or change in your life. Why? Because that cross right behind me keeps representing how much God loved us and gave up his life for us and wants us every day to become a little bit more and a little bit more just like Jesus. And when there's changes, you know you're on the right track. And if there's no changes, friends, I'm going to challenge you. If you come into worship and there's nothing that changes, I think I'd go back to God and say, am I missing something? Because you probably are. Because when God's in the house and we get to be with God and we worship God and God is inviting us to allow him to be the center of our lives, change is going to happen. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, it's only by your grace and your love for us that you even want to have a relationship with us. We thank you, God, that you want to live within us. It's not enough to be just among us. You want to indwell us. And God, we invite you to take over again inside of our hearts. We invite you to be the Lord of our hearts, the Lord of our lives. We invite you, just like David, to bring up that ark, to bring you into our midst. And we invite you not only to be in this place, but to be in our hearts, to be in our lives. And that, Lord, we might look at our lives and say, is there anything in my life that needs to change so that you would be honored as 